everybody, and welcome back. I am the Bull, and this is See the Bullski, the podcast where I talk about leadership, followership, resiliency, wellness, and quite often other random topics. My apologies for missing an upload. I have been dealing with some personal medical stuff, but please don't be afraid. Don't worry. Um, I'm in a good spot right now. I've gotten a lot of answers recently, which has provided a lot of support, help, and benefit. So yay, things are going well. Uh, as always, I just want to say to my return listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and spending some time with me. And I want to throw out a welcome to any new listeners that I may have. Please remember to hit that follow button so that you get all of my new uploads. And now on to today's topic. I want to start by asking some questions and I want you to stop and seriously think about it. How well do you take care of you? How often do you check in on yourself? Do you do it at all? And if you do, what do you look for? Or like, what do you ask yourself? The concept of self-care is vital to living a healthy and balanced life, but it can be a struggle. And I've noticed for many that they, they, they know that they need to do better, but the problem is they might not know where to even start. And so checking in equates to only ruminating or dwelling on things that need to be done, but the dwelling actually results in more stress, not less. And the real point of checking in on yourself is to deconflict priorities and to manage your stress levels. Checking in with yourself can seem like a burden, but I look at it like routine maintenance. And by doing it, you can better, you can function in a more optimal way, I guess. You know, stress is a normal part of our life. And keep in mind that we don't say stress elimination. We say management because stress can provide some good things. Stress can help us focus our attention on what's important or where it is needed the most. And the better you become at handling stress, the smarter, healthier, and happier you'll end up being. So today, I want to go over the HALT approach, which is H-A-L-T. Let's get into it. So HALT stands for Hungry, Angry, Lonely, and Tired. And looking at these four areas can be hugely beneficial when you are feeling stressed or triggered. Now, I know in pop culture, you know, hear the words triggered. Triggered simply means that it's your stress response. Sometimes we call it the fight or flight response and it's been activated. The stress response comes into play when we as individuals perceive a threat and the intent of the system is to amplify our bodily functions to meet those threats and survive. Now keep in mind that I said individuals because stress is largely idiosyncratic or individually specific. Yes, we all have the same type of stress you know, functionality within our body, but what activates it and how we respond to it is largely driven by the individual. What stresses you out may be nothing to someone else and vice versa. And this is important because sometimes we can lack empathy to appreciate that while we are doing fine, those around us might be struggling or others might be fine and we might be struggling. And whether it's at, you know, home or work, we are still individuals and due to innumerable differences in our makeup and our experiences, we all have different limits and approaches to how we respond to demands that are placed upon us, which is stress. When we get triggered, what happens is we sense or perceive a threat. And this could be to our livelihood or even just our values. This creates problems when we interact with other people who maybe don't share our values or maybe they're just disrespectful or dismissive of them. So I really wanna emphasize the importance of empathy towards others and also empathy towards ourselves. Your feelings are valid and nobody has the right to dismiss your concerns the same as you shouldn't dismiss the concerns of others. So I just wanna throw that out there first and foremost. Now going back to HALT, again, stands for hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. It actually started in Alcoholics Anonymous and it's actually very frequently used uh, for to help identify potential relapse triggers for people that are struggling with substances. Frequently, relapses can occur when someone recovering is facing a stressful situation, and since the substances are often used for self-medication, 
re-engaging in substance use, you know, they try to use it to handle their stress and it does kind of become a tempting option for relapse and that's usually how they occur. Uh, there are other factors to relapse, but that is a big one. Unfortunately, going back to using substances and relapsing does nothing because, well, it doesn't help the mitigating of the stress because it compromises your ability to think and your ability to function. So even though it seems like a tempting option, it actually doesn't work out really well, but that's a whole nother uh, conversation. And one of the tools that is used is HALT to you know, kind of help with general stressful situations with uh, substance abuse, but you can use HALT in just day-to-day -day stress as well. So that's kind of why I want to go over it because it's just a very simple, basic tactic. Now, H stands for hunger. And there are a couple of different ways that you can look at this. And this is where idiosyncrasies kind of come into play. On the one hand, when we are stressed, we could lose all of our appetite because the stress or maybe anxiety, it impacts our emotional, psychological and physiological states. And because of the demands of the fight or flight sequence, our bodies could shut down blood flow and other necessary functions so as not to divert energy to those non-essential functions during a stressful time. Or maybe not, it's not gonna shut down those functions, but it's not a priority, and so blood flow ends up getting diverted to other areas instead of you know things like digestion because we don't wanna divert energy to process food when we might need that energy to keep us alive. Put simply, because we are animals, if we are under threat and need to you know, fight or run, we don't wanna divert energy or blood flow to digesting food because in that moment, we need everything we have in our power to survive. This is also why people get stressed. They can experience stomach pain, discomfort, or even digestive difficulties. That's where that comes from. The body releases hormones and chemicals which can hurt our dig uh, digestive systems. On the flip side, stress might actually increase your appetite. And before you go, hold on, that doesn't make any sense. It actually does because while we have roughly the same bodily systems, we all learn different ways of using them based on learned behaviors and experiences, which could be you know, culturally influenced and so on and so forth. We're kind of all like laptops from the store, right? So kind of, here's my analogy, I couldn't help myself. There are tons of different brands, right? You've got HP, Sony, Apple, Samsung, Dell, blah, blah, blah. And when they're a new laptop at the store, they have roughly the same settings when they're purchased, right? There, there might be some differences, but mostly they all come the same basically out of the box. Now, stick with me. Through our lives, we add, delete, use, and neglect different programs based on the demands that we have. And our responses to life, it, it causes us to do the same, you know, within our bodies as we would with a laptop, right? I hope that kind of makes sense. This is why it's important to kind of keep our options open because you never know what you could end up learning. Now, I hope this kind of makes sense. And going back to hunger, hunger could be decreased, but it could also decrease. And here's the why. When stress triggers us, it, it causes a release of a chemical called cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Cortisol, uh, quote, and this is an actual quote. So cortisol, quote, cortisol, quote, stimulates your fat and carbohydrate metabolism, creating a surge of energy in your body. Sorry, I had a tongue twister there. Now, that is what we use to survive the threat, that energy. But because we are burning through our reserves, the body could also be looking for ways to replenish that source throughout the situation, which is one reason we look for comfort foods. When we're stressed, do you want to go eat a salad? No. What do you want? You want burgers, fries, soda, chips, candy. We want the good stuff. And while we think that that desire is intentional, it's actually a bit more automatic because deep in our brain centers, we know that those foods are sweet, fatty and salty and our bodies know that we need that energy surplus or we need that energy just to replenish what we're spending now on the other side comfort foods can lessen stress hormone because serotonin 
is a uh, is a neurotransmitter and it helps people feel cal uh, calmer but it also helps counter cortisol now imagine being under perpetual stress and instead of intentionally managing it you instead allow your body's automatic responses to drive right and this can severely impact your your body's health because over time you desire more and more comfort foods that are high in you know sugar fat and salt and it may seem like it's helping but they're not staples of a healthy diet and they can lead to you know significant health issues later on down the line so again when you're feeling stressed pay close attention to your hunger and be conscientious of you know what you're putting into your body for the halt approach you want to be mindful of what you're eating particularly in stressful situations because again what you put in is what your body uses and your brain relies on nutrients to perform optimally now we know food is our body's fuel but we can forget that the type of fuel that we use can hurt our performance and the brain and cognitive function is hugely reliant upon what we do put into our bodies when you're stressed or having a stressful day pay attention to what you're putting into your body be mindful of your automatic habits that you may have developed and understand maybe where it's coming from and maybe think of better ways to manage it moving forward one of the tricks that i started doing was i started bringing healthier snacks to work with me so that when i get stressed or if i get cravings instead of running to you know the store the shop bed or a snack bar i have stuff in hand my my go-to food is almonds but there are plenty of other options instead of chips or candy and i'm not saying that you can't ever have that stuff I'm just making the argument that there are other more beneficial options. Hunger is a huge driving factor to a lot of our lives and we often don't think about it because it's such a basic process and there's no lack of food options out there. So, you know, just kind of remember what you put in is what you get out. As for the A, the A stands for angry and contrary to many assumptions, anger is not automatically bad. Anger is a normal, healthy, emotional response. Now, obviously there are some caveats consistent or you know chronic persistent anger can be extremely unhealthy and damaging not only to you but to those that are around you uh, one article that i read put it really well anger is like sleep we know what's good for us but if you are tired or sleep all the time it could be concerning anger definitely has a role to play in healthy responses you know especially fight or flight responses but it certainly impacts our ability to make healthy choices you know, or uh, behave in healthy ways or appropriate ways, if you prefer. Now, while it's true that anger can narrow our cognitive scope or put another way, it kind of narrows our attention to whatever the threat is typically, it can also limit our problem solving because when anger is driving, everything else fades away, right? Have you ever responded to with anger in a situation? Probably, we all have, most people have. And uh, if, you, if you have never responded in anger, I really want to interview you. But, you know, I want to ask, when you did respond with anger, what happened later on when things were calm and things were cooled down? Did you reflecting, you know, kind of go, oops, I, I could have handled that better, which is fairly common for a lot of people. It's happened to me and that's healthy so that we can learn from our experiences. But the end all goal really should be to learn how to maintain control in the moment instead of just expecting the world around us to tolerate our emotional reactions or outbursts. Yes, anger can have healthy reasons and it is normal and it is human and it's emotion that we all have and it's, it's a perfectly justifiable reaction in some cases that doesn't necessarily validate, you know, our, when we choose to, it, and the thing to keep in mind about anger is overall, it is kind of a choice. Just like hunger, Anger can take mindfulness and awareness of how we choose to respond to situations. And the goal, again, should be working towards an optimal, healthy, beneficial outcome versus just reacting and refusing to learn to adapt to better ways of handling the situation. Help, anger can be helpful in so many situations. 
you know, uh, anger can override fear or it can empower you to protect yourself or others that you care about. But it isn't necessarily the answer to everything. And it definitely can make things worse really quick. So again, just try to be mindful of your mental state when you're getting stressed and how are you reacting and learn to control your responses instead of letting them control you. If you are stressed and you find yourself a bit on edge or maybe you're snapping at people around you, even if they did nothing wrong, try to recognize that and then take steps to rebalance yourself. One of the things I've gotten in the habit of doing is if I'm having a bad day or it's a rough morning, I just straight up tell people, like I just let them know that I'm, I'm having an off morning, I'm, I'm a grumpy Gus and you know, hey, I apologize, I'm just, eh, I'm not having it the greatest of days. And you know, it's, it's not embarrassing or anything, it's just me being honest, but I'm also not attacking the other person. And you know what the crazy thing is? There has not been a single time that I've been open and honest with people like that that it has turned back nasty on me. Every single time, and I mean this, every single time without fail, the response I have always gotten has been in the realm of, oh, is everything okay? Is there anything I can do for you? Do you wanna talk about it? Now, whether I do or don't, you know, that's up to me individualistically and it kind of depends on the situation, but there's nothing wrong with acknowledging and just letting people know that, hey, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of having an off day. I just, I need a little bit to get my mind right and to kind of reorient myself and let people offer to help or you know if you need space just say no i need my space and if they offer to help and you think it'd be helpful don't be afraid to take it it's okay we all need a, a, a hand sometimes so it's okay to own your feelings like anger just i'm against trying to use it as an excuse to lash out, to lash out at those who don't deserve it because that can lead to uh, to you know others pushing you away or you pushing people away and that actually takes us to the third one loneliness so again, halt, we got hungry, we got angry, and now we got the L, which is loneliness. Even though some people are more introverted than others, right? We are social creatures. It's a weird thing because I think that some people think needing others or relying on others is a sign of weakness. And it, it, that's just not true. That it, It's not even an opinion. It is a fact that we as social species, we need others, right? We may need them in different ways, but we do need others. Now that doesn't mean we need to let everyone around us into our intimate social circle. It just means there's nothing wrong with letting people in as close as you are comfortable with. And that isn't a weakness. It's a strength. The ability to build healthy bonds with those around us, even with those who maybe they're significantly different than you, right? Than ourselves. It's absolutely a skill. And honestly, you know, it is one of the best qualities of a leader, if you're a leader and you can make a functioning team by drawing upon the differences of the different people in your team and like help them work together cohesively, man, that's like the one of the best skills you can have as a leader. And it actually is one of the fundamental uh, components of any effective team is drawing upon and, and interconnecting those uh, connections uh, and those different abilities. No one can do everything by themselves. And usually the people who resist that concept are the same people who go out of their way to push people away or they find, you know, little niches, little niches, niches. I don't know. Frederick Nietzsche. I don't know. I'm going to say niches, niches, niches. I don't know. Now I'm getting, now I'm confusing myself. Little groups. Let's just go with that. They look for their own little groups so that they can flourish. But this really does limit your overall capabilities. Social isolation amplifies our feelings of stress because when we push people away and we make ourselves alone, we know it, we feel it, meaning that we are being, you know, we're closing ourselves off and there's only so many things that any one individual can do. And we know somewhere deep down that that limits our potential solutions, which in effect 
increases our fear responses because we know that we can't think of everything and this can just turn into a really nasty spiral. When people feel alone or more accurately feel like they have to be alone, they can end up turtling up and you know a large part of that is because they feel like if they if they are alone, they can end up feeling like they need to conserve their resources and energy to survive, meaning that they are never operating at their optimal because they need to be ready for the next threat or they need to stay on guard for the current threat. And again, if somebody's alone, they're consistently and persistently feeling this way and that just makes a really nasty spiral. Then, you know, even if people do get to a safe spot, they might be afraid to branch out because they know that they need to protect the safe space that they've cultivated Again, this prevents them from expanding, from growing, making connections, and it just, again, really nasty spiral. Uh, there was, when I was thinking about the, uh, the HALT, I went looking for articles and I found one written by Dr. Stream, who's a psychologist and substance counselor, which makes sense because HALT is frequently used in Alcoholics Anonymous. And what he said is, if you don't have meaningful interactions with people, just being in their vicinity isn't going to fulfill that need. We need to make sure that we are forming and maintaining healthy relationships with those around us. You know, the people that we trust, those are often strengthened by having similar goals or focus points. So like in a work center, you're working with peers who you're all working towards the same occupational goals. Same thing if you have hobbies, you're sharing an interest. These are things that you guys can center around and you can build upon from one topic to another to help create more intimate relationships as you get to know each other, which increases your options when stressful things come up. Now, a quick insert here. I know that I've used the term intimate a couple of times, and I just want to clarify that when I say intimate, I'm not talking about romance in this sense. Uh, it's, it's, it's more meaning like personally, or more about you as a person beyond the central theme. So for example, if you're on a baseball team with other people, obviously, you could just have that central point connectivity. We're on the same team, we play the game, but then we never interact, we never hang out outside of us. Our entire universe together is only on the baseball field, right? That's not intimate. Intimate would be you know each other's spouses, you you talk outside of the game, you talk about more than just baseball, you know each other's birthdays, you've, you've hung out at each other's houses, you've grown to trust and connect with people beyond that central theme. So that's, that's really what I mean when I'm using the word intimate in this case. It is really important to find people in your life that you can form intimate, meaningful relationships with. And I don't mean the social media 500 followers on TikTok because those aren't meaningful friends. I'm sorry, you know, unless you're going to tell me that the 500,000 friends that you have are people you actually hang out with outside of the social network, I really doubt that that's the case. We all need to have healthy sized social networks of people that we frequently interact with, who we that we can trust, that they trust us and we mutually support each other. And especially when we don't agree. The kind of support where if you called somebody at 2 a.m. and said you needed help, you know that they would be there, no questions asked. Dealing with stressful times is tough by itself and doing it alone makes it so much worse. But when you have support and you aren't alone, it's often easier to handle and it's less debilitating. Mindfulness, using mindfulness in this regard, you know, is how well we are letting people in or pushing people out. 
Sometimes we don't realize we're pushing people away because we're so in the throes of stress and trying to survive the, the situation that we don't realize that we are the ones holding people at an arm's length, which is interesting because sometimes we do it and we're not even aware that we do it. And really what we want is somebody to get in close and help us, but we don't realize we have our guard up, right? So again, mindfulness and how are we responding to stress and are we being open and are, and are we offering people the opportunity to help us or are we maybe intentionally or accidentally keeping people away. That awareness can help motivate us to let people in when we feel vulnerable, which is hard to do sometimes, but we cultivated our relationships for a reason. And a big reason is mutual support and mutual survival. You watch my back because I trust you and I watch your back because you trust me. Last but not least, we have the T. So we got hungry, angry, lonely, and last is tired. Who knew that sleep was crucial to our ability to function as people? Who knew? Lack of sleep can severely impact so much of how we live our lives because sleep is what we use to recharge and re it actually, when we sleep, there are functions within our brain, which I'm not going to go into, but throughout the day, our brain gets wear and tear. And when we sleep, our brain is literally not only recharging, it's rebuilding and recovering the damage that, you know, from usage. Again, I'm not going to go into a whole neurological TED talk, but just keep in mind, like it is crucial to get healthy, effective sleep. When when good sleep isn't hap uh, when good sleep isn't happening, you can be certain that there is going to be a cascade of negative outcomes. That yeah, that's not going to be fun. Now we have all had lousy sleep nights, and often we can deal with it for a day or two. But if it becomes persistent, everything seems to become harder, doesn't it? Like we're more miserable, we're grouchy, we can't think as clearly, and the more negative things happen, the less we can effectively handle the situation, and the worse it can get, it results in higher stress, which results in less sleep, and then again, really bad negative spiral. The hard part is that when we are stressed, we often can't sleep well because we're thinking about the stress, right? It's keeping you up at night. Well, this can lead to the cascade that I just talked about. The funny thing is, when you're trying to sleep, like really hear me, when you're trying to sleep in safe in your bed, the stressor isn't actually happening right that second, is it? Like maybe the situation isn't handled yet, maybe it's still ongoing, but in that moment, safe and hopefully warm in your bed, I'm in California and we just had a mini blizzard, but you know, relatively warm in your bed, is the stress actually right there, right then? Probably not, but because we're thinking about it in our bread and, and in our beds, our brains respond as if it is happening in the moment, which triggers the internal responses. But this time, because you're in bed, there's no outlet, there's nothing to do. Our brains and bodies, you know, they, they respond to that, but there's no outlet. Because we don't have an outlet, it just builds up and we end up ruminating or dwelling. Our sleep sucks because we're really light sleepers or our brain's still trying to work through the problem. And the next day we aren't as rested. Our ability to function is compromised a little bit. And over time, it gets worse and worse, which adds to the stress and eventually burnout is going to occur more than likely. Now, sometimes, and this is where it gets really, really tricky. And I'm, I'm not gonna lie, this is where it gets really messed up. Sometimes we don't, we're, we're not even thinking about it consciously. And that's really tough because things in our unconscious aren't easily controlled, hence the, the name unconscious. So what do you do? Well, some of the best practices are good relaxation techniques like breathing exercises, which help us take control of our body's physiological stress responses and we can basically reverse engineer ourselves to a neutral state. This comes into play with something called sleep hygiene. For one thing, you wanna maintain a stable sleep and wake cycle 
This helps build up our internal clock's awareness of when it's time to you know, power down and go to sleep. So try to stick to an, as normal a schedule as you can. And if you don't have one, that might be an issue why you're having sleep problems beyond the stress. Next, you wanna develop a routine before sleep taking your shower, brushing your teeth, etc. you know, and you want to do it about the same time. That way you're not only wiring your, your brain for sleepy time, but you're also directing your attention to the schedule and you're drawing attention away from the stressors. Again, if you're not thinking about the stressors, then it doesn't have any reason to amp you up. And because you're consciously directing your attention, your unconscious can kind of follow suit. Next, you want to avoid things like cell phones and TVs because one thing, for one thing, they can be stimulating, right? If you're watching a good TV show. Uh, the other side is, is that they can keep you awake and attentive and the blue light produced by many screens can complicate your body's production of melatonin, which is what our bodies use to promote and sustain our sleep cycle. Me personally, I like reading a little bit before bed, but this can be tricky because if what I'm reading is stimulating, then it defeats the whole purpose. So I try to pick something that I enjoy but also something that's a bit dry. And I try to relaxingly trick myself into boredom, I guess. I guess that's probably the easiest way to put it. There are other things that you can do for sleep hygiene, but you get the general idea. You know, practicing sleep, uh, deep breathing exercises, focusing on your breath, how long you inhale, how long you hold it, how long you exhale. Again, you're purposely focusing your attention. And because you're focusing on something non-threatening, you're basically telling your brain, there's no threat, it's okay, we're in a safe space, power down, let's call it a day, we'll deal with it tomorrow. And it takes a little bit because it's a habit, it's a behavior, but the more you do it, the more your brain gets trained to do it and the easier it is to do over time. It can be really, really tricky with our you know, current culture. Um, sometimes our stress responses can get hijacked by things that are really non-life-threatening situations and this can cause a lot of problems. But the thing is, without sleep, you know what? You're gonna be ineffective in handling things, so. Now, stress is normal, and we shouldn't be ashamed of getting stressed or beating ourselves up for being human, nor should we beat others up or judge them for being stressed by things, even when we don't understand why they may be stressing. You don't need to understand why something is stressful to others. Just acknowledge that it is and offer to help, or at least try not to make it worse. The cool thing is, over time and through experience, we've all learned and we can continue to learn better ways of handling stress, and that's the secret. It isn't that things don't or won't bug us, it's just that we've survived so far and that continuous growth equips us with more and more tools to help us in the future to not only get ourselves through tough situations, but also help others who are going through something that we maybe have been through. But just remember, even though the situation may be similar, individual idios you know, idiosyncrasies, they play a significant part. So be careful thinking that you have all the answers because while you may have a lot of answers for you, it might be likely that those answers are not perfect for somebody else. So with that in mind, the next time you or someone around you is stressing, I want you to halt, right? I want you to stop, take a second. I want you to look at your hunger, your angry, or you know, e even expand that to your emotional state, your loneliness and your sleep, and see if one or more of these is being impacted. And maybe pay a little bit more attention to them, give them a little bit of mindfulness, love, maybe the situation can get, hopefully the situation will get a little bit easier to handle. Again, it might take a little practice, but we're trying to build up for lifelong, not just short term. You know, remember the goal isn't to eliminate, the goal is to manage. We need healthy levels of stress. It's what helps us grow and learn, but we need to manage it. You know, that way we prevent unhealthy coping skills, which can only compound the problem and result in negative outcomes down the line. All in all, the idea of halt I really like, and the idea is to stop and be mindful of how your automatic reactions to stress are 
occurring and you want to improve your intentional responses to tough situations by making sure that you're taking care of that routine maintenance in your own well-being. So again, next time you get stressed, I want you to halt, look at your hunger, your anger, loneliness, and your tiredness. So that's it for me. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully you learned a little something new. Sorry I'm tongue-tied. Um, just want to throw one last piece. I'm not going to say that halt is the stress management technique, but it is a simple one that you can keep in your back pocket. And since you know we are starting a new week tomorrow, give it a try, see if it helps. And remember, the goal isn't stress elimination. It's all about management. So again, thank you so much for tuning in, having a listen. Please don't forget to hit that follow button if you haven't already done so. And please, if you wouldn't mind just sharing it out, maybe it'll help somebody else. I do greatly appreciate it. I hope you all have a great week and I'll check you out next time.